Hi, I'm Philippe. I'm Justine. And this is the Boards Network Podcast. This show is an open-ended exploration of the people and practices behind the most effective boards of directors. Private companies rule a big part of the world around us, and boards dictate their strategy and decisions. We believe that by changing boards, we can change the world. Today, we're having a chat with Kate Mitchell, who's a partner at Scale Venture Partners. Kate studied political science, economics, and computer science at Stanford. After that, she immediately pursued an MBA in finance at Golden Gate University at night while she began her career as a banker. Kate spent 12 years at Bank of America, worked in finance and business development, distressed asset sales, and then launched Boffa onto the internet when she ran the internet banking division. In 1996, she left banking and tech to become a venture capitalist. She co-founded Scale Venture Partners, which is in Silicon Valley and focuses on enterprise software companies. Scale Venture Partners went on to back some of the best high-growth companies such as HubSpot, Box, and DocuSign. Kate also holds leadership positions in nonprofit organizations such as the National Venture Capital Association, where she has been a chairman and has been a board member for more than a decade. She's also been involved with the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. In 2014, Kate co-founded the NVCA initiative, now called Venture Forward, which focuses on advancing opportunities for women and minorities across the venture ecosystem. Last but not least, Kate has also been on the board of a famous publicly listed company for almost 10 years now, the Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group. She's chair of the Credit Committee, member of the Nominating and Governance and Risk Committees. Three years ago, she joined the board of Fortif Corporation, another S&P 500 company, where she chairs the Compensation Committee and sits on the Audit Committee. For sure, Kate has a lot to teach us, and we're super excited to have her on the show today. Kate, thanks so much for accepting our invitation to come on the show and talk about your experience on boards. We're excited to learn from you. I'm excited to join. This is a great conversation. So maybe a good place to start is to try to understand a little bit better how you started getting involved with boards in your career. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, my first board actually had nothing to do with the kinds of, well, it actually does have something to do with the boards I started I'm on now, but nothing at the time to do with my career. I actually started on a nonprofit board. It was then called Children's Garden, a shelter for abused children. It's now a much bigger organization called Side by Side that covers at-risk youth across Northern California. And I was interested in really just stretching myself and interacting with a larger, more senior group of professionals. And this was in my 20s. What did sitting on a nonprofit board so early in your career teach you? In addition to, I think, helping you understand the value of giving early in your career um, and the many needs out there, from a board perspective, it, it taught me things on sort of two dimensions. One, I'd say... At a nonprofit board or really any board, the first thing to learn is governance. And I think that opportunity in, frankly, what otherwise is a low-risk environment, but where my job wasn't on the line and, and my future, but obviously other people's lives were, so it was highly motivating to do a good job there. But learning how, you know, what's the role of governance? Governance is such a vague word. What is that? Giving strategic advice, evaluating uh, leadership, and in and, and that case, which has turned out, uh, you know, as is not uncommon in many private and um, public companies, um, we had to replace leadership there, which turned out to be very valuable and a real pivotal uh, moment for that organization, making sure that the company is financed. And of course, a nonprofit, that's typically fundraising. Um, but that same idea that what is the board's role from a governance point of view? As an individual, I also learned a lot. I, I learned about what you do as a generic board member. What's the cadence of a board? What skills am I bringing to a board? I mean, yes, I, at the time, I, I was kind of half tech, half finance in a, a large bank. 
but what special powers did I bring as a board member? And how do I handle myself, again, with a group of, of very, in that case, very experienced professionals, but where I would be pulling my weight. And I think the biggest takeaway from me about boards, and we'll talk more about this through my career on boards, but that the, in addition to governance, your role as an individual board member is to source deliver, but you do it all in an influence mode. You're influencing your other board members. You're influencing management. You're not directing things as you do on a day-to-day basis. When I compare that to what I did as a, in my full-time job, I was responsible for doing things. As a board member, your responsibility is to guide things. And there are times when you give advice and it's not necessarily heard. Maybe it's a little bit, you know, later in one's life, like raising children, it may get heard, but over time. And, and then that point about, again, I'm not doing it. That's management's job. Um, and I'm not even the single board member to give opinion to management. I'm influence managing how decisions are made. Um, and I think that takeaway and that, that foundation has served me so well. I have really fond memories of that, of that board. It was a good foundation for me. What about your banking years? What did your banking career contribute to who you are today as a board member? I was very lucky early in my career to have exposure to the bank's board. It was then headquartered in San Francisco. It was before it merged with a, a bank in the southeast, then called Nations Bank. I actually got a chance to to present uh, once to the board of Bank of America. And the seriousness with which that whole board took their responsibility, I realized early on this was not a country club activity It wasn't, you know, they weren't doing this for fun and it wasn't this, they weren't doing it for the prestige. They were really rolling up their sleeves, asking good questions. They clearly had done a lot of work. So I think I was lucky to be exposed to such a large, you know, even then, uh, you know, Fortune 500 company board that had some strategic issues in front of it. So I think that really helped. And then again, I think it, I think in many ways that board experience helped me think even about my work experience as I began to think about It helped me think about how to become a leader within my organization, learning from the leadership, um, certainly within the nonprofit. I was, I was working with that new leader we recruited was really amazing. And also the leaders around the board. So I think at that point, um, I was certainly contributing because I could give a lot of effort. I had a lot of energy um, at the time in my 20s. Um, and uh, so I could, I could do a lot for the nonprofit. So I was contributing quite a bit. But I have to say, and I think it was interesting in my first nonprofit, One of the board members asked me, what are you getting out of it? And I thought, well, wait a minute, my point is to give. And their point was, no, you should understand what you're learning from this, um, because if you do that, you will be more committed. And at that point, it was learning about things that could help me as I wanted to aspire in my career to become more senior, to ultimately lead large parts of the bank, ultimately over my career, founding a, a venture firm and, and now sitting on public boards, it allowed me to see things at a scale that I wasn't able to see in my operating job. So I think I was both contributing quite a bit, but I was bringing a lot back into my job that I think was helping me um, grow and, and think of myself um, in, a more, as, in a more senior light, at least aspirationally at that point in my career. Given the amazing work that you've done at scale, we'd love to dig in a bit more into your track record as a private board member, especially at high growth tech companies. Can you talk about your first role on a private tech company board and what that was like? First, stand back and say, what's the difference between I actually a public and a nonprofit have some things in common um, versus what you find as a private investor? And I think this is if there's one takeaway about private boards um, and advice I got in my my first uh, board role is that I'm there because I wrote a check. 
I'm there because I led around in, and we do that at scale venture partners. We, uh, in, in vast majority, I would say near all, it's rare when we don't take a board seat. So I am there because scale and our limited partners want to get a return. And I'm, and, and therefore I'm holding a board seat. Those motives and those responsibilities are very distinct and sometimes maybe in conflict. Um, and so I think when you when you sit on a board, and again, I was lucky to have uh, you know a, a mentor in the industry who I got to learn from sitting on my first board, who who really helped me think about the difference. And if I did want to speak on behalf of scale, I might have come in a Series B. There may have been people in Series A, and then people in Series C and D. And management has its own objectives. When we're all talking about, let's say, returns or further investment, we have to be clear about whether or not I'm speaking on behalf of and my Series B investment and my potential to invest in future rounds, or am I speaking as a fiduciary for all of the shareholders, which will include employee uh, options programs and other things? So I think you have to be very clear. And if there's one takeaway I'd have about private boards for investors in particular, understanding that. I also think that's why independent board members are so critical for uh, private venture-backed boards. Independent board members really help in so many ways. Sort of, It's the leavening agent. It reminds us why we're there because they only have the, the motive of the fiduciary for all the shareholders, the investors, and the employees. And then certainly the creditors who've become before any equity. Um, having an independent board member is, is hugely helpful. So that's my f- first thing is, is the difference and the importance, I think, from a, a private board understanding that. I'd say, you know, for me, it it was, I was, it wasn't my first board, but I, it was my most impactful early board I sat on was a company called Wayport. It was in Texas. It it varied between Austin and Dallas, um, but it contributed a huge amount to my growth. It was a company that thought initially it had technology around Wi-Fi access points that quickly became standardized. And in essence, it provided services. Um, This is now well over 15, almost 20 years ago. Um, they were the first to have Wi-Fi access points in Starbucks and, and places like that. Um, and they were sold to AT&T for, in our case, in our round, uh, you know, two and a half to three times that range, uh, multiple for, for scale. So a decent, not a rock star, but a decent return. Um, but I learned so much as a board member. First of all, as I mentioned, the value of independent board members, that issue, there have been many rounds and early investors. We had some difficult days, that idea of speaking as a board versus an investor. I also think, and we'll talk more about this later, but the value of diversity. I will say from a, when we think of diversity today, I was the only woman, um, and even in the leadership team of the company. So from that, and there was nobody of color. From that standpoint, it wasn't diverse. But it got to the point, though, and the lesson for me about diversity in that there were people from very different geographies, very different age experience, very different work experience, um, very different um, maturity around venture-backed boards and startups. The team had varying degrees. And we really used that diversity productively in decision-making. We spent time together and really built a bond within the team, of course, but certainly as the board, as in, you know, it's, its team that complements the management team. And the most important aspect, we enjoyed each other. We still have reunions now. Again, uh, you know, we exited uh, over 15 years ago. Um, it's amazing because we think so highly of each other. We've continued to learn from each other. We, when the going got tough and we did have some tough days, we knew what each other delivered and we listened to the points of view that I didn't have. And that diversity of experience and background 
and points of view and technological expertise, global everything, helped us make decisions in a much better way than if everybody looked like me or any other person on that board. It was it was really helpful. And the second thing we did, the board, the, again, I, I give a lot of credit to the CEO there, um, who is Dave Vecina, the board, uh, the CEO, just an amazing um, leader. And he's invested a lot of this time initially just with the management team, but it extended ultimately to the board. How we can learn to be really open and honest, the passive aggressiveness, we all don't want to be the we're trying to impress each other to be the smartest person in the room because it's a group of very smart people between the management team and the board. And people can have these hidden agendas and have ways they try to influence decisions that can be quite unhealthy. And uh, honesty, and I think honesty in my case, it worked in, in our firm, it worked at Wayport and in all boards. I also think honesty can be leavened with a, a bit of uh, humor. Um, but when you're honest and open about what you think, you can openly disagree. You can show that you have respect to each other. You, you know, luckily, this is not a life or death situation, as some people find in, in, in other circumstances. So let's be open with each other. We have a shared goal of success for the company and all its um, uh, its constituents. So let's put it all on the table. And we had a good outcome. And as I mentioned, we we're still having reunions. Um, and we were <laughs> we have all kinds of jokes uh, around the reunion. So that, that humor and that learning has continued. It's been a real, it's been an asset. So I that was a, a great early board for me to sit on. Um, and I think, by the way, I think we could have get them, it became a services business. Honestly, there's probably a stage that scale would have been happy to get return of capital and that we made them a three times our money, I think is a screaming success. Number one, cheers to the team. But I think the board was very helpful in that regard as well. Considering all the boards you worked with, is there one that was particularly well-functioning and did you have key learnings? Are there any specific reasons underlying this high board efficiency? The highest functioning board I've been on, and we'll talk later about the attributes of a public board, but it is Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and it's interesting, when I interviewed Eric Benamou, he's, the, he's a board member at Silicon Valley Bank. Um, he now is a venture investor, but he's known as the founder of Three Common Palm. And I sat with him in my interview as a board member. He chaired Nam and Gov, as he still does. This is about a decade ago. And I, I, after he'd asked me a series of questions, asked him what he thought about this board. And he just blurted out, and anybody who knows Eric, he's not given to that. So this was him being completely, you know, right out there and honest and said, oh, my gosh, this is the best board I've ever been on. And I, of course, have given to blurting, responded back saying, really, better than three common palm? He said, absolutely. And he, and what he talked about is what I, I referred to a bit in Wayport, but we've taken it to another level. It really is quite a diverse uh, board. Um, Eric is an example, you know, is a global citizen. So he's not born in the U.S., an immigrant background in Israel. Folks that have, um, there. by the way, there have always been three women on that board. We're about to add a fourth. Um, we are looking to add people of color to the board over time, but we have taken diversity. And by the way, that echoes um, and is we're probably behind even what the what the management team itself is doing. But I think we also, and this is what Eric was referring to, we use that well. We use it in decision making. The thing is an thing that as an example that Eric is good at are different than what I am good at. And I love listening and drawing on 
again, Eric is an example. Jeff Machincalda, the CEO of Coursera, is on the board with me. And again, his skills are yet different than both Eric and mine. And how we complement the chair, Roger Denbar, and Greg Becker, the CEO, we all bring very different skill sets when it comes to decision making. So we've really drawn on that. And the other thing is we are massively committed to constant improvement, as is the, you know, like the best athletes, you know. Roger Federer, well, he he didn't win. Let's say Rafa Nadal, you know, as I, we've all been watching the U.S. Open most recently um, in the time that we are are, are taping this. Um, they still have coaches and still miss shots and are still trying to get better. Um, that's true of any sport. And and boards that are committed to constant improvement, we give our, we get feedback from all the other board. We do a 360 on ourselves and each other. So that we can t- understand better what our, our perceived strengths are as board members. So I use that well, but also what I need to work on. And again, like the best athlete, there's always something to work on and that we incorporate that as a board. We get feedback from the management team on what we can do better. So it isn't just a typical board giving management feedback on their performance and then we go home and are badly behaving um, and not not and make it difficult for the team to succeed or in the company to be successful. Um, we actually take it really seriously. So it's been highly functioning and that's a, a real cheers to management team who makes it efficient for us. But I think every individual board member there is commitment. Um, it's been a wonderful growing experience. And I'm now at the place where Eric is that I can say the same thing publicly. It's been the, the highest functioning board I've been on. So I'm going to ask the flip side of that question, although, of course, you don't have to mention any names, but it would be interesting to hear about any situations you've been in where the board's been relatively dysfunctional and how you fix the problem and what you learned from those situations. It was an interesting company, um, and we did not we didn't lose all our capital in this deal. Um, we got about eighty ninety cents on the dollar, which is a hallelujah in this case. I would have I would have just walked away and not put any more money in. And again, that's often the decision as a as a venture investor. My job is to manage a portfolio of private companies and to put most of the capital in the best companies. And at some point, even if I'm walking away from my investment, which is obviously not the goal of venture, but the goal is to minimize the capital in your losses. Um, so in any event, this is a company that fell into that category, the worst performing in that. And it was a company in the Southeast that had an application around hourly workers. Um, it had had some very early stage investors um, regionally who were really all good people and added lots of company. This is one where the individuals around the company were all good, um, but it had been consistently under, underperforming. I took over the seat from a partner who had left the firm to go on to his next opportunity. And um, it had been consistently underperforming. There was a weak team. The CEO perceived his role, and I just have to, you know, defend him in some ways. That the board had kind of gotten into this, you know, sell me on you, continue to sell, you know, sell me. And so he would just give good news all the time. Well, you know, startups are not, and high risk companies, and even large public companies, we're in the business of managing risk. Whether it's a really early stage company where the risk and return are both high, but even that's true of, of public later stage, very large companies, it is about managing risk. And this idea that I'm only going to tell you the good news means you're not telling me the real story. And I think in certain ways, um, because some of the early stage investors were out of capital, because they've not succeeded, there need to be put in more money. Nobody really wanted to talk about the bad stuff. So there was this passive aggressive around the company's performance, and no one really wanted to call a spade a spade when, to me, it was just declaring the fact of the facts, um, number one. And number two, that a lot of people on the board had run out of capital. While there were some later stage investors 
who hadn't. And that sets up a very challenging dynamic when all of a sudden you get to have lack of alignment. And then when you're not aligned, you're also probably not aligned with management, which which you're not. And so there was everybody was putting their head in the sand. I think from a so I think in addition to this lack of open and uh, you know honestness about where we really were, we had no lead director and chairman. And that's where I learned a lot from this board because I'd sort of taken it as a given there would always be a good and thoughtful chairman. I, I sort of, it's like when everything is going right and you feel well, you kind of forget what it's like when you're sick. Um, you know, I just sort of assumed it was like air, it was going to be there and that it just happened. Well, it doesn't just happen. And the importance of a lead director or a chair in setting an objective agenda, facilitating conversations, not not driving them or leading them by by being the person who's trying to be the loudest and most influential person, actually bringing out the best and the best chairman and lead directors actually become more facilitators and less individual contributors. They're letting everybody else be an individual contributor. What happened there is my um, backup on this deal was um, one at the time, a fellow who was a principal, highly experienced, somebody I was so excited to join the team, Alex Mihenke. Um, and he had, had helped invest, uh, help that prior partner invest in this company, uh, knew it better than I did. Um, and he had yet to sit on his first board. And so the way we worked it out is, he really became, and by the way, he's now a full partner in the fund and has one of the strongest track records and the fastest growing company that we have ever had in our last 20 years of scale in his portfolio. So he's turned out to be a truly amazing uh, board member uh, beyond that. But he really took the role as representing scale. And I actually became the facilitator. I was the least experienced by, by in this company's sector and in this company. Um, and all I did was simply stand back and facilitate. So the, the, the value was derived from everybody else on the board, but I simply laid out the facts, laid out a process by which we would talk about the issues, what's happening in the company, what is happening with each of us in terms of our willingness and ability to support the company. And very quickly, we decided the smartest thing was going to be to sell the company, which we did. We sold it and rolled it into a private equity shop. Some of us took cash. Some of us rolled it over our investment into the company. We took cash. Um, out. And so I think, and given the 90 cents on the dollar return, that was a great outcome. But it was that benefit of, of knowing the importance of facilitation. And again, I frankly added no content there. That really came from Alex and all the other, uh, other members that were on that board. Um, but I was able to model that behavior off of the many great chairs I'd already had experience with. Um, and it was a great learning experience for me from that standpoint. You talked a bit about how the CEO only told the board good news and kind of people had their heads in the sand. How do you build trust with a management team when you join a board, especially if you're joining a board and maybe weren't the lead investor at the time? It's a great point. And often, you know, if you're a younger person on a board, that's how some of my first board experiences came. I was succeeding people who had retired and moved on. And that was a great apprentice opportunity. But how do you get respected when you're you're really the least experienced person? In this case, I was a more experienced venture capitalist by far, but um, but much less experienced in this company. I think part of it is you 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 work to develop that open, honest relationship. And I always say my best friend is the one who tells me I have spinach in my teeth. Um, and I was very clear at spending time with the uh, with the CEO, uh, being clear about my agenda. So he didn't try to figure out what I was trying to do and that I wanted to, you know, I was, I was going to be rather than being dishonest. And I didn't come in by the way, assuming that we wouldn't continue to invest in the company. Um, that's ultimately what we just, that was the right thing to do, but I was open 
And I had to show him that I was open. I also really helped him do a number of different things. So I did what every good board member needs to do. You know, you're until you decide, until you are no longer an investor, you are still working on behalf of all the shareholders to make it the best company till the day you close a sale. Um, you are working to make it the best company you can. So I delivered as, as much as I absolutely could to that company in the meantime. And I think showed the, the CEO, I'm not he- here to you know sit on my high horse, the least knowledgeable person and newest person on this board, and just those things and arrows at you. And again, that's, I think, a lot of people can tend to do that and you will not be, you will, it'll be more difficult to be successful at that. So I think it was to show that I was going to roll up my sleeves and be part of the problem, but also be very open about the agenda and help him, by the way, he, I would, as any lead director, and I wasn't named that, but in essence operated as that, um, I spent time getting input from the board and from the CEO about what he wanted to see on the board agenda. So he felt he had input and was being heard as well. Um, And that's why we stuck to facts first and then got to people's opinions, because that also allowed him to, you know, put put the best case forward. And by the way, he ended up being very supportive of the sale because he felt like he was part of the process. So I think you have to, you know, always work for the company and and put all your put all your cards out on the table and hope that that encourages others to do the same. Besides learning by doing, what is it that you purposely do in order to become a better board member? I would really make a point of trying to some cases we did board you know self review in most cases in in private boards you don't but i would try to give myself an annual review of did i contribute more than money if another ceo and i think by the way it's great as an independent or an investor board member um and and i think smart by the way private founders call our board members and frankly even call the difficult i've maintained good relations by the way with I really almost all of the boards that even had not successful outcomes because the CEOs felt they were partnered well through the very end and had a, had a say um, and didn't see it as a demise or a loss, but saw themselves as part of it. So I always tested myself. If someone was going to call anyone on that board or the CEO, would they say I was a highly functioning board member? Did I contribute? Was I open? Was I honest? And getting feedback as you can about your performance and what you can do better, I think, is true with all of us. So I think being thoughtful about learning from your current experience, not just having it by osmosis, but being conscious about about yourself, test yourself, set goals for yourself for the the next, you know, for the future, um, I think is really, really important. But I also did do a lot of training and reading. And there are a lot of places, and I hope throughout this pod series that you're getting a good clue of these. Um, one of the places I have learned a lot from is um, the Rock Center for Corporate Governance. It's part of Stanford Law School. And if folks Google that, there are all kinds of materials there about governance and a number of different schools. Harvard Business School has some material, a number of different schools. Tuck Business School um, has a number of agendas, uh, items to read about this. I think things that can really help people broadly in private equity and venture, both founders, by the way, and board members of how to think about what the role means. What does a comp committee do? What's an audit committee do? Why are we doing all these things? Um, and something that I've gotten involved with and I've gotten something out of every year, um, that Rock Center at Stanford puts on a public director's college. Uh, it's it's a four, three to four day event. It's expensive, so usually public boards help pay for that. Um, but there's a shorter curriculum for private companies that Stanford and uh, the MBCA where I've been involved um, over time has sponsored to help all of us in the venture community. And as we're earlier in our careers, um, experienced venture capitalists, general counsels, 
Um, everything that's been learned on large public companies, successes and failures, you learn as much from both, um, has been really helpful. And then um, I've been involved in something, again, as a panelist and a professor, but I've been learning in equal measure, something called Venture Capital University, VCU, that's been sponsored by the MBCA. And we've done one in Michigan, at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. We're about to do one um, in September 2019 in a week uh, from when this taping's being done in New Orleans at Tulane University, but trying to bring a lot of this to communities beyond um, Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley um, and Boston and some of the other, you know, where there's a huge amount of expertise to turn to, but where people can have a day experience. And again, I have learned so much from my peers. I take notes in the back and, and I've had a, a number of us have said, can you give me your slides? I mean, I may be teaching because I have expertise, but I, you know, I've had a, a, a great set of peers. So I do think there's quite a bit out there. And then getting on people's blogs, go to venture capitalist websites. You know, uh, Bill Gurley at Benchmark is a great writer. My partner, Rory O'Driscoll, writes a lot and blogs a lot on our website about his experiences aboard, the kinds of guidance he gives as a company goes through it. So, you know, go out and reach out and learn. Uh, listen to podcasts like this. I think there's a huge amount out there now that frankly didn't exist when I joined the business 20 years ago. It was more experiential. So it's a great time to be joining the business. You can, you can learn from hopefully some successes, but, but certainly not repeat the failures. Hey, it's Philippe again. This is the end of the first part of our discussion with Kate Mitchell. In the next episode, Kate, Justine, and I will discuss more in depth about diversity and inclusion and what can be done to improve boards on that front. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found some wisdom and knowledge that you can apply during your next board meeting or more broadly in your business journey. If you like this conversation, please share it with your friends and colleagues and write a review on iTunes to help others discover the show. To find more episodes of the Boards Network podcast, go to boardsnetwork.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Boards Network for the show, at Philippe Nissen, and at Justine Huang 34 for our personal accounts. 